This podcast is hosted by RPP. The following episode contains coarse language, violent themes, sexual references, and the really creepy stuff. If you're underage, turn off your device. Normal people, Esther, don't just go straight to demonic infestation like we do. Because the government was also freaked out about the movies. They might be dealing with a demonic possession. Meanwhile, as she's on top of him squeezing his throat, she's screaming, who sent him here? And they started to move towards her really fast. What are these? Australian aliens. Welcome back. Hey. Hey, how are you? Good girl, how are you? I'm good, I'm rad. Um, I've got a really interesting story for today and uh, I hear you've got a mega story as well. Yeah, I've got a mega two-parter. That's awesome. I'm up to, how many words? 3,000 words and um, I actually had to stop typing because I'm like, I'm not going to, this is bigger than any essay I've done so far for criminology, so let's (laughs) cut this in half. And I'm not even halfway through, so it's going to be a... A real heavy hitter, massive heavy hitter. Maybe in the future, criminology students will listen to this episode and fail all their assignments. <laughs> for, yeah, just Shocking. for 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 the for the hard facts. Yeah, yeah. Don't crim, crim <laughs> students do not come to me for this sort of information. Shall we do our our proper intro? Yes. Welcome to I think my fridge is haunted. Uh, yeah, we were just talking about our cats and cat grass and cat how grass. some of our friends are obsessed with plants now because COVID made everybody crazy. Oh, but look, you you either went the bad crazy or the good crazy and buying heaps of plants is great. Do it. Do it. I have spent so much money on plants over the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in a tiny little apartment in Carlton and I'm wedge between um a tattoo parlor a massage parlor and a dumpling shop cool so my view is really everything you need everything i love and a florist actually but my view is just the dumpling shop so i have filled my only outdoor space with plants and it looks incredible and I'm super proud. So if you that's awesome. If you're a plant mom or dad, then yay. We had some uh, issues this week where we left a few of our house plants outside, and it was that really really hot day, or those yeah. couple of hot days, yeah. and a couple of them got a bit sunburned. And it was really funny because the plants that really survived those hot hot days were the ones that you wouldn't think were that tough. So mm. we've got these like hanging baskets of pansies. Oh yeah, they're freaking like looking the best they've ever looked yeah right i'm like dude it was like 38 degrees oh yeah i've bumped my head into your pansies before yeah yeah everyone does (laughs) yeah constant head banging to the pansies they look amazing i'm like dudes keep on trucking keep on trucking yeah yeah good can we talk about something that i am literally two years on the bad wagon behind what Hereditary. Oh. <laughs> yes, bitch, you finally fucking watched it. just watched Hereditary, like, last week. I am obsessed. Isn't it great? It was a masterpiece. Yep. I cannot go on enough about it. I loved it. I just can't. I can't deal. 
Very similar um, pattern to Midsummer. Yes. And so it's all Ari the different shapes. Astar, I think, I, is yeah, the I'm not sure. director's name, Ari Astar. So I think Hereditary was his first full length feature film, mm. and then Midsummer was his follow up. And they're so similar in the way that they're shot Completely. and the subject matter. And at the end of Hereditary, the first thing I Googled was. Are Hereditary and Midsummer in the same multiverse? And apparently they're not, but I question whether maybe I think they are. It's just like the cinematography and the imagery is super, super, super similar. You got the um in Midsummer you have that church that is triangle shaped right at the end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that they keep flashing back to throughout the film. And then in Hereditary you've got the that um like the cubby house thing. Yes. And they, they kind of focus on that. And it's all like wooden. It's all wooden and like very Swedish, kind of like yes. Norsk type You're styling. You're so right. It's beautiful. And it's he a beautiful definitely, film. He definitely favours sort of, you know, the white cult robe. Yeah, Sort of great. that kind of situation and sort of, I don't know, very – uh, middle age sort of beliefs and mm. animal symbols and uh, yeah yeah um, very like w- ritualistic love it it's they're gorgeous films i mean if you haven't seen it spoilers spoilers but you guys you need to see it but um the be- the beheading scene is my favorite it's done so friggin well it's such a which one though because there's two beheading scenes in hereditary um the car yes and the car, it leaves you kind of like it's done. Holy cow! What just happened? It feels real because you. It, it's just such a like fast. It's just such a crazy scene of like the girl having the allergic reaction. Yes, the brother being high. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like if you've ever been in a car accident, it's it had that same vibe. Like I felt ill after it, and then you see. You see her head on the road and after a few days and like all it's of it. It's in incredible. Ants. It's just, it's amazing. And how he kind of like, he, when, what, you know, when she sticks her head out the window and, and, and it gets hit by the post. Yes. And he just stops the car and he knows. And he doesn't, he just, like, he yeah, doesn't even really look later, back. And guys, if you haven't seen it, please skip forward uh, because spoilers. <laughs> But then, and I was like, why is he just sitting there? And I, I'm like, but I, you I, would. he's shocked and blah, 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 blah. But then he goes home and he just goes into the house and then he goes to sleep and then he wakes up and blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, oh, it's because the spirit has, is that when the spirit transfers into his body or is that later? Mm. Oh, hang on a minute. No, I think it's later when he falls out the window, it's transferred, isn't it? That's a good point. No, I think he literally goes home and he's just in complete shock. Yeah. Complete, complete shock. Because then later on the weird shit starts happening. Like he starts seeing that lady waving to him. And and what about that weird smiling man that pops up all the time? Yeah. that one. The, he's one of the cult members. Yes. So I first noticed when she was at the funeral, she was looking at the grandmother in the casket mm. and over her shoulder is this weird smiling man, like, having a good time. Yeah, the, it's, <laughs> the whole, it's, it's just like Midsummer. There's like things in it that are, they're creepy, but you don't really know why they're creepy. Yes. They're so simple. So simple. Like in Midsummer when um, they first enter the, the beautiful cult, I guess. And there's with I, the feast, 
Yeah, yeah, but the, yeah. The, oh, like, oh, you mean way before that? Like you know when they're going through the track and there's all the flowers and they're they're coming through the forest. And when they, they first start, arrive. When they first arrive, yeah. after yeah. they've had the magic mushrooms. Yes. And then they, they start seeing the flowers. And then you, you get there and there's just like, I'm pretty sure there's like three boys just playing the flute kind of to the side of the screen. And it's there's something right, like quite offsetting about it. Right. If, am I saying offsetting? I know what, what you I, mean, though. What am I meant to say? I've been off since 4 a.m. Off-putting. Yeah, off-putting. <laughs> And it, there's something just really. I mean, kind how of often about do it. you see teenage boys playing the playing. flute? I mean, in Caram Downs, they don't play I the flute. I see them in Caram they, Downs they all the time play playing the, flute, Gemma. They play the mess They play the pipe. bong. Yeah, <laughs> the bong and the mess pipe. <laughs> oh, we're such old women. What else are you meant to do in Caram Downs? No, exactly. All right. Packs from the freezer. Packs from the freezer. Packs from the freezer. <laughs> Okay, so as usual, I'm going to um, talk about a fact that has something to do with my story because Ooh. that's my thing now. It is. Um, and so I'm really sorry. My story is depressing. Not as so is mine. Uh, okay, right. Oh man, having to listen to that story for the second time about the nutty putty caves. Oh my god! When I was so editing sad. it, I was so like, sad. I really don't want to listen to this again, but I had to. Yeah, I listened it to it. Was so morning. sad. Mm. So sad and tragic. Yeah, shocker. So, in the last several years, the instances of missing people in Mexico has risen dramatically. In January 2020, the Mexican government released a report on the number of citizens that had gone missing, with the estimated number being 61,637, which date back to the 1960s. But this number is up 20,000 from the 40,000 reported in April uh, 2018. So the number of um, missing people is going up per year, like at a crazy rate. I wonder why. Hmm. That's really mm, a lot of speculation that we can't really make because we I don't. Was, I was have any insight. If I had written this earlier, because I only wrote this this morning because um, I saw an article on Facebook about it, and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if your sister could come? Yeah. And talk about it because yeah. she's... Well, that's what you think of. You think of the... Um, what are they called? Cartels. Cartels, yeah. Anyway, we'll get into that later. What's your fact? Um, I got this fact from the last podcast um, on the left because mm-hmm. I get everything from them. So if you, if you boil down magic mushrooms to a tea mm-hmm. and then you inject that into your blood you will grow fungal spores in your blood and your organs will fail and you'll kind of basically turn into a mushroom. What? Yeah. <laughs> Big magic mushroom. <laughs> but, um, Fact. <laughs> but you would think that a lot of people would do that, though. I mean, you know, there's people in very small No, that's, small, what, that's small why towns. I know about it. Someone did do it. And they got spores in their blood. Yeah, and, they, they and started died. coughing up blood and stuff. And um, Holy cow. Yeah, well, this this one man... What if you snort it? Ugh. Have you tried snorting anything bigger than a... But, like, what if they, say, dried it, desiccated it, and then yeah. put it in a mortar and pestle and Probably. just kind of ground it up so, Probably. you know, I mean, small? Have you ever had them? They taste like shit. No, I haven't. They're disgusting. 
I have so been to sort of parties where there was like, you know, a bit of a casserole happening on the stove. Oh! Ventry um, <laughs> <laughs> <Fentry> Gully! <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, no, no, this man did have bipolar and he was having an episode and he wanted to figure out a way to cure bipolar and he thought about um, um, injecting mushrooms and it just gave him fungal spores in his bloodstream. And wow, that's yeah. amazing. I, 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 I saw a video about um, a dude that he was some kind of a horticulturist and um, he, had, he had inhaled some sort of, I know this sounds ridiculous, mm. some sort of seeds or something like that and um, a small tree had actually begun <laughs> to grow in his lung. I hate that so much. It was crazy but kind of fascinating at the same that time. Makes that, there's something about that that is scarier than anything. And they thought it was a tumour. They're like, That's there is terrifying. a tree in your lung. My dad is a... Landscape gardener, exactly. And horticulturalist, yeah. So I and he's a heavy smoker. So I might go and be like, Dad, get your lungs checked for cancer or trees. Like, well, you know, one's going to cancel out the other, isn't it? I mean, if I you've got a tree, tree in, in your yeah. lung, um, that's disgusting. It's not really gonna, like, I hate that. I hate that. It was odd. Where would it get the moist? Like, is it using his spit to? Well, drink you I, would presume so i hate that i'm actually feeling like i'm gonna vomit a little bit sorry dude that makes me that really f's me I up i think he was in japan so like what? in my head it was like so a really nice a beautiful japanese I was, maple i was like it's a like a really nice bonsai, a bonsai in there. <laughs> that's disgusting i hate i hate that so and i've got a tough stomach you know that I you do there's not shit not day. much that um, oh like um i sent Gemma a post the other day uh, this girl went to the hospital oh, with God, that was weird. Um, pains in her bladder and she had a bladder stone, but there was a pencil stuck in the bladder stone. And this girl's 14, 14 or 16. Yeah. One of those. Let's call her 15. Right a teenager. In the yeah. She was old enough to know <laughs> not to do this shit. She had pushed a pencil, a wooden shitty pencil that had... Potential to give you, um, what are those? Tetanus? No, what are those? Splinters. Splinters. She put it up her fucking urethra. urethra. The urine hole. Yes. The urine hole. And then, and like then it this, calcified. It calcified into like a tumour, didn't it? On the end of the pencil. Yeah, it was like a beehive on the pencil, but the beehive was a bladder stone. What, did she just forget that she put that up there? It was in there for did they say six months? It would have been a while for something that big It looked like a dodgy lollipop It was literally like a golf ball size calcification. around a pencil It was so weird. How does she even sit down? Up that hole Blows my mind. Blows my mind How do you get that hole any bigger than what it... Pain and I want to vomit. Why? Disgusting. If it if she put it up there, guys, this is going to be a grisly episode. Did she not bring it out? No, God. Once it's up, you don't want to reverse like, it. Oh, I've got some pains. Um, I think I have like you know a gallstones or something like that, or a kidney stones or whatever. Oh, if I forgot forgot to mention, I put a I keep a pencil there, coloring pencil. It was green too, which <sighs> so weird, yeah, disgusting. Anyway, who's going to go first? I'm going to go first. Okay. Because mine is really gruesome. 
Okay. It's disgusting. You know it. You know this case. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been saying I've wanted to do this guy for a very long time. Is it Ramirez? No, not Ramirez. He's from Russia. Oh, no. Uh, Andre uh, Chikatilo. No. <laughs> he's, he's the worst. He's a bad one. He is the worst. He is bad. All right. Bad. Fine. I think he's the worst serial killer to ever live, in my opinion. He this- is fucking Dangerous. There's a couple of people that I kind of am dreading the day. I know you're going to do them and I don't want to hear about them. them. Yeah, but if I know, name them, you're going to do it. No, tell me. Mangala. Oh, yeah, I was going to, yeah. Um, that's a t- that's very touchy. He's the worst as well. Yeah, I've been wanting, and I want to do unit. I didn't want to hear about Albert Fish, but you did that. I've already done him. Uh, unit 731? Yes. I'm, I'm, yeah. That's a bad one. That's in the works. Um, oh, who else do I not want to hear about? <laughs> oh, there's probably... Andre Chikatilo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's just so creepy looking Terrifying. as well. He's a monster. Like, 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 he's a horror movie character. He looks like he should live like in a... In a cave. Cave, yeah, yes. He's like a m- mole man. Yeah. Okay, guys. Um, my sources are biography.com, last podcast on the left, Monstro podcast, which I highly recommend, and Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Um, and mon- trigger warning because Monstro Podcast is really fucked up. That's one thing I love. I absolutely adore podcasts that go into the nitty gritty and the gory. They don't hold back. They don't tiptoe and like, oh, we're not going to talk. No, mm. Monstro, um, they actually didn't do very well at all with ratings because they were too fucked up. Right. Yeah. That's a little bit like JD Horror's um, True Crime Horror Story. He's, he doesn't hold back i love it yeah if we're gonna listen and talk about this shit we may as well not make it pg yeah well yeah yeah you know what you're getting into yeah okay go ahead andre chikatilo god was born on october 16th 1936 in now guys you got to give me a, a bit of Space because all these words are in Russian oh, and I worst. cannot do Russian. <laughs> so um, he was born in a, te- a village called Yabloknoya. Labnoknoya, of course. Yeah, there you go. A village in rural Ukraine in the USSR. During the 1930s, Ukraine was known as the breadbasket of the Soviet Union. Stalin's policies of agricultural collectivization caused widespread poverty and famine that destroyed the population. So by being called the breadbasket, is that all they literally all they ate was bread. And it would have been like a very, very simple type of bread as well. No baker's delight. No. Creamy. Ain't ain't no sourdough. Finger buns, whatever. No. No Boston buns. (laughs) No. Just like hot cross bun. No. Just the most simple your basic whatever you can get. Yeah, ba- probably yeah, just damper. Exactly. Which was a treat when I was in primary school. It was a good night when we had damper. What, proper, like, put it in the ground damper? Yeah, yeah. Holy cow. That's the that's one awesome. thing we learned from primary school that I actually remember. So um, our American friends, um, like the girls from Bo- Boozy Betty's, damper is an Australian bread. It's, um, you make it... I don't know if people make it anymore. Like when you go camping, you make it. Yeah. You put it in. You make the bread. You put it in foil and you bury it in the ground and you 
like um, yeah, it's like three ingredients. It. It's like flour, water, and milk or egg or, or something. Egg or something. Yeah, it's like and basic you, as shit. And you have jam and whatever you want with it's it. It's delicious. Tits. It's yeah, fucking. It's nuts. like a big scone. It tastes like fire too, so you feel like you're yeah. really in the outback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. um, is it you put like ashes on it and it cooks yeah. in the ashes? Yeah, you. Yeah, and it's you a really it old like colonial tradition. It's like what the bush. The um, Ned Kelly and all that. Yes. The Bush the, Rangers. Um, pack up your swag, let's go. Yeah, so yeah, Russell Coits. You learned something today, Russell Coits. <laughs> Am I making all that noise? Is this me making all this noise? Our chairs, our chairs are um, I'm just, squeaky. I'm gay, so I don't know how to sit on a seat properly. I'm, really <laughs> <laughs> I'm just uncomfortable. Okay. Um, so lots of famine that destroyed the population. At yep. the time of Chikatilo's birth, the effects of the famine were still widely felt and his early childhood was influenced by poverty. It was believed that Chikatilo only ate bread into the age of 12, wow. adding that his family would eat grass and leaves to ward off starvation. As a young boy, his mother would tell Andre that his brother had been, his older brother had been kidnapped and cannibalized by their starving neighbours. This hasn't been confirmed um, that his brother was kidnapped or actually even existed. Hmm. But Chikatilo described his childhood as being filled with fear, hunger, poverty, embarrassment and violence. The situation was made worse still when the the USSR entered World War II against Germany, bringing sustained bombing raids on Ukraine. Andre's mother also gave birth to a daughter who it was believed was conceived from a Nazi raping the mum. And because the family lived in a small hut, Andre would have most likely witnessed the entire ordeal. Wow. Not a good place to live, not a good time to live. No way, Jose. Wow. In addition to living life in poverty and fear, Chikatilo is believed to have suffered from hydrocephalus which is water on the brain. <coughs> Bless you. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Gemma, oh. COVID, COVID. Something about this room makes me sneeze. It's the COVID. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's actually it's the, the water on the brain. I think it's the excessive use of sanitizer, uh, sanitizer in this room, actually. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, talking about water on the brain, which Chikatilo had, Segway. Um, which caused him urinary tract problems later in life, including bedwetting into his late adolescence and later the inability to sustain an erection, although he was able to ejaculate. Now, this whole episode, we're going to be talking about erections and ejaculation. Yeah, that was a big part of his whole situation, wasn't it? <sighs> I felt like such a pervert writing this because it is what seriously, it is. if I did like a word search on the word... Um, ejaculation, semen, and erection. It would just be little yellow squares popping up everywhere. (laughs) His home life was disrupted by his father's recruitment into the war against the Nazis, where he was captured, held prisoner, and then belittled by his countrymen for allowing himself to be captured when he finally returned home. Chikatilo suffered the consequences of his father's quote-unquote weakness, making him the focus of school bullying. Extremely shy and awkward, his first known sexual experience was when he was 15. He had attacked an 11-year-old girl, ejaculated immediately, and then was bullied more for the assault. 
The, humi- the humiliation triggered future sexual experiences to be mixed with violence. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind, everyone. Mm-hmm. He tried getting into university but failed the entry- entrance exam, so moved to a town near Rostov in 1960 where he became a telephone engineer. He actually did really, really well in school. Right. He was very smart, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was like an A-plus student. Wow. Yeah. His younger sister moved in with him, and noticing how awkward he was around women, she set him up on a date with a local girl named Theodosia. Um, who a he, cool name. Yeah, cool name. Who he married very shortly after. He described it as almost an arranged marriage planned by his sister and his brother-in-law. His wife knew he couldn't maintain an erection, so in order to have kids, he would ejaculate and then she would push, push his semen inside of her with his fingers. Right. This actually worked. Mm-hmm. And they had two kids. <clears throat> right. In 1971, <laughs> so all the like... <laughs> perverts are writing this down being like (laughs) (laughs) he's icky he's just the whole everything about him is gross yeah in 1971 uh chikatilo became a school teacher of course of course yeah put him in the the creepiest guy in the village teachers sorry to all the teachers because there's some really good teachers out there. I'm presuming that where he lived, um, sort of, you know, after the war, sort of picked up a little bit, and they were able to get like fresh yeah. produce in. And, yeah, it was you getting know, there. Well, he was an adult at this were stage. Were a little bit less horrid. Yeah, yeah. By the seventies. Yes, he was a pretty shit teacher though. Um, <laughs> he wasn't able to maintain discipline from his students, and the kids would make fun of him. <sighs> Well, he did look like a peanut, so yeah, I would have been one of those kids. He looks like a, a cave a goblin. A cave, yeah, cave goblin. That sounds like a slur. It's a goblins, but I don't know <laughs> any personal. Uh, I look like a cave goblin. You should see me today. <laughs> Someone at work today said to me, "Esther, you look you." Oh, what did she say? She's like, I know you're pale normally, but you look really sick and pale now. And I'm wow, just like, that is such a lovely thing like, to say to somebody. Thank like, you, Sarah. thank you so much. Thanks, girl. Yeah, I'm feeling great. <laughs> Isn't it like? I think everyone knows that person. Like, if you're not feeling your best, like they're gonna mention it. Oh, uh, it's like I know my hair is. I have uh, so I shaved my head during lockdown, and um. It's in that stage where it's just growing in all different directions. It's awesome. But I cannot get it cut because you can't do much with it. Because <laughs> so, it's curly? Because, yeah, I want to get a mullet, but I can't because it'll be a curly Australian mullet. I want, like, a cool lesbian mullet, but I can't do that. I just have to let it grow out. So when someone's like, your hair's really big today, I'm like, bitch, I fucking know. I can't do It's too short to tie in a ponytail mm. and it's too big to moose down. It'd you know take I mean? a lot of work. I mean, like, it if takes you, a lot of would work. Would you want a, the curly mullet with the curls? No, or, I want like a sexy you, Miley Cyrus jagged mullet. I mean, you would have to GHD every day. I know, that's why I can't. Every I don't day. have it. I have a, a, um, a chemist straightener. I got a $40 chemist straightener. I can't do that shit. Mm. Although it would look, I'd look great. In it a would look mullet. rad. I would look so good. But it's just a lot of work. It would kill my hair. It's a lot, and no, I need to let it grow worry. out. Honestly, don't worry about that. Like, really? oh, trade secrets. Yeah. 
everyone's like, oh, you not too much heat on your hair and stuff. I was like, who cares? It's like, yeah, you know, who cares? Just like, hair grows back. Yeah, hair grows back. Yeah, fuck hair. Fuck 2020. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, the, t- the kids made fun of the teacher because he sucked. In May 1973, Chico Tillo committed his first known sexual assault upon one of his students. In this incident, he swam towards a 15-year-old girl uh, on a school trip and groped her breasts and vagina, ejaculating as the girl struggled against his grip. Well, a they, trigger warning. Were they in Sorry, like a guys. lake or something? Yeah, they were in a, they were in a like, yeah, big lake, I think. A lake or a pool. Bastard. Bastards. Months later, Chikatilo sexually assaulted another teenage girl whom he had locked in his classroom. He was not disciplined for either of these incidents, nor for the occasions in which fellow teachers observed Chikatilo fondling himself in the presence of his students. What the hell? <sighs> Look, it's Russia in the 60s. I don't mm. know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not one to ask, but I'm assuming it wasn't as up to date. You see perverts now on the street and no one does anything. Yeah. I've seen people masturbating on this, on trains but, and people have just like put their heads down and haven't said anything. But they're not a teacher. No, they could be. They, well, they're not doing it in a class. Well, they're doing it in a, a school. Yeah. Still, don't do it. No, don't exactly. be a dickhead. Totally don't do it. But, you know, sometimes there's a reason why people don't have licenses. What, driving and, licenses and, or yeah, teaching and, and licenses? Yeah, they, they and they have to catch trains and buses. Because yeah, well, do it at home. They are irresponsible. Touch yourself at home. From there, with the amount of complaints building up, he lost his job and moved to another school. Where finally. Finally. How many complaints does it take? Quite a few. Idiot. Um, where, and he moved to another school but was made redundant. So he moved to a third school. Mm-hmm. His teaching career came to an end in 1981 after a massive number of complaints of child molestation were made at the last school he was in. So he left and started working as a supply clerk at a factory. Right. In 1978, Chikatilo committed his first recorded murder. Now, um, trigger warning for the entire episode, but... Now that we're in a murder, more trigger warnings, okay? I can't stress this enough. The, the episode name should be Trigger Warning. Mm-hmm. All the trigger warnings, yeah. yeah. On the 22nd of December, he coaxed a nine-year-old girl named Yelena Zakotnova into an old house where he attempted to rape her but failed, so he choked and stabbed her to death. Through her killing, he ejaculated. He then dumped her body in a nearby river. She was found two days later. There was a witness who saw Chikatilo with the girl shortly before she went missing. There were blood found around Chikatilo's house. But despite these facts, another man who had previously been to jail for rape and murder of a teenage girl was convicted of this crime and executed. Really? Yep. Crazy. Even though the evidence pointed to Chikatilo? Yep. But, I mean, this guy still raped and murdered someone, so... Hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, he wasn't yeah, innocent. The kids in this story are really in a dangerous place. It, it, it is fucked. Like you can't even go to school safely. Nah. Yeah, like he. You'll see later on. He picks up kids that are literally like in a public space, on a train, on a bus. Wow. And he'll just be like, "Hey, I've mm. got this. Do you want to mm-hmm. come?" Around? He's literally the beginning of Stranger Danger. Like, yeah. come into the forest, I have some candy, that yeah. sort of shit. Mm. 
Following this little girl's murder, Chikatilo was able to achieve sexual arousal and orgasm only through stabbing and slashing women and children to death. And he later claimed that the urge to relieve the ex- to relive the experience had overwhelmed him. On the 3rd of September 1981, Chikatilo met a 17-year-old girl named Larissa Takanenko. I'm saying that definitely wrong. Standing at a bus stop. He managed to convince her to come into a nearby forest to drink vodka and relax. When they reached a secluded area, he threw the girl to the ground before tearing off her clothes and attempting intercourse as Larissa protested against his attack. When Chikatilo failed to achieve an erection, he forced mud inside of the girl's mouth to stifle her screams before beating and strangling her to death. As he had no knife, Chikatilo mutilated the body with his teeth and a stick. He also tore one nipple from Larissa's body with his teeth before loosely covering her body with leaves, branches, mm. and torn pages of newspaper. He's gross. She was found the following, following day. On the 12th of June, 1982, Chikatilo saw a 13-year-old girl called Leobov Buryuk, who was walking home from a shopping trip. The two walked together for a while until the path they were on started to become more shielded away from the general site, where Chikatilo attacked her, dragged her into some bushes, tore her clothes off, and stabbed her to death in a manner that was imitating intercourse. When her body was discovered two weeks later, they found 22 stab wounds and marks on her skull, neck, chest, eye sockets, and genitals. Following this girl's murder, Chikatilo no longer attempted to resist his homicidal urges. Between July and September 1982, he killed a further five victims between the ages of 9 and 18. And he's got kids himself at this point who are around the 10 years old sort of age. Yeah, and a wife, just chilling. And um, I'm wondering, like, um, you know, did he Well, the wife knew that he was weird. I don't think he did. But the wife knew that he had some issues. Hmm. I wonder if he did not attack his own children um, for fear of being found out or because he actually respected his children or loved his children. You never know. Maybe he thought incest was disgusting. Maybe. Like, people have their, you know... Weird opinions. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He established a pattern of of approaching children, runaways and young Vagrants. Vagrants? Vagrants. God, I'm sorry. I'm so tired. At bus or railway stations, enticing them to nearby forest or other secluded area and killing them, usually by stabbing, slashing, and disemboweling Disemboweling the victim with a knife. Mm. Although some victims, in addition to receiving a multitude of knife wounds, were also strangled or battered to death. Many of these victims had mutilation to their eye sockets. That's a recurring thing. Remember that. Yeah, that's his his signature thing. Right. He would typically attempt intercourse with these victims, but he would usually be unable to achieve or maintain an erection. This would send him into a murderous fury, which would then lead him to brutally murdering them. He would only achieve orgasm during the murder or aftermath. On 11th of December 1982, Chikatilo encountered a 10-year-old girl named Olga Stalmakonk, I'm saying that wrong, riding a bus to her parents' home and convinced the child to leave the bus with him. 
She was last seen by another passenger who reported that a middle-aged man had led the girl away firmly by the hand. Chikatilo lured the girl to a cornfield on the outskirts of the city, stabbing her in excess of 50 times around the head and body, ripped open her chest and removed her lower bowel and uterus. Jesus. So it's actually like kind of, is it getting worse or is he just getting more creative? He's getting worse. And you could say he's getting more creative. Very, very... I th- I think he's just trying to top the amount of gore and brutality yeah. in each kill. And is he burying the bodies or just leaving he's, them? He's as burying they are. them really. He's dumping them in rivers and he's putting sticks on top of them. So, so he's, he's not just, trying to hide them. He's yeah. just like discarding them. Right. And like I might you know put a branch over this one. Like, yeah. He's not doing a good job. By January 1983. Um, An investigation was underway called Operation Forest Path. Already four victims were being linked to the one killer. Once the body of Olga was found and a forensic analyst observed how her eyes were mutilated, in similar way to the other victims, any doubt that a serial killer was involved was gone. Chikatilo did not kill again until until June 1983 when he murdered a 15-year-old American girl named Laura I mean, Armenian, sorry, not American, Mm -hmm. Armenian girl named Laura Sakisian. Her body was found close to an unmarked railway platform near a small town. By September, he had killed a further five victims. The accumulation of bodies found and the similarities between the pattern of wounds inflicted on the victims forced the Soviet authorities to acknowledge that a serial killer was on the loose. On 6th of September 1983, the public prosecutor of the Soviet Union formally linked six of the murders thus far attributed to the same killer. And look, knowing what we know about Chernobyl, mm. do you think the Soviet Union took, because at this point we're, what, seven years? He's been at it for seven years. Mm. The Soviet Union in the 80s loved to um, say everything was fine. Yeah, it, I, it wouldn't have been... It, it took quite a while for it to actually hit the press. Yeah. They kept They're it quiet. Like, kept it, yeah, I, mm. that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, were, were they just kind of deny, not denying it, but they were just kind of really sweep, sweeping well, it under the rug? It was, it's actually quite amazing. Um, you'll see, I don't know if I'll talk about it in this episode or the next episode, but um, they have a, they do a, a psychological profile on him mm-hmm. and they nail it to the, fucking detail right so there are some people in this operation that were switched on yeah which i thought was amazing and then there's another whole level which i'll get to in a second that were way off and they're just it's it just shows how old school their that's belief what system i was gonna was. say like you know there's gonna be ones that are sort of more progressive and they're exactly. ones that are sort of stuck in the world war ii mentality exactly. well i'm literally about to read a paragraph that is so old world it's very offensive so trigger warning again Due to the sheer violence of the murders and the precision of the cuts upon the victims' bodies, police theorised that the killings had been conducted by either a group of group harvesting organs to sell for transplant, Mm. the work of a satanic cult, or a mentally ill individual. Much of the police effort concentrated upon the theory that the killer must be mentally ill, homosexual, or a pedophile. 
and the alibis of all individuals who had either spent time in psychiatric wards or had been convicted of so convicted of homosexuality <laughs> or pedophilia. It's great when they lump those two in together. Yeah, because one's definitely just you're as gay, bad as you're the other. Be assaulting children. Um, yeah, unbelievable. Um, but anyone who had spent time in psych wards or had been convicted of being gay or a pedophile were checked and logged in a card filing system. Registered sex offenders were also investigated and if the alibis were corroborated, eliminated from the inquiry. Beginning in September 1983, several young men confessed to the murders, although these individuals were often intellectually disabled youths who admitted to the crimes only under prolonged and often brutal interrogation. Oh, the old uh, Brendan Dassey. Brendan Dassey? From um, Making a Murderer. Oh, I never got into that. Oh, so good. I just didn't like it because I knew... Didn't they just, they just basically... He burned a cat alive, didn't he? The old man. Mm. I watched part of it and as soon as he's like, well, he threw a cat into a bonfire, I was like, he fucking deserves to go to jail. I don't care if he's not... I'm vaguely remembering something like that, <laughs> but that Brendan Dassey, he was—he's not the sharpest tool in the box, right? And they basically just kind of uh, took advantage of took that. Took advantage, yeah. and they were like, "Did you rape her? You killed her, didn't you? Oh, no. You did it, didn't you? Did you pick up the gun, or did they you pick up the gonna, knife?" Yeah. And and he was just like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah," oh. um, and it was just really—it's so common. It's just really bad. So common. Um, three known homosexuals and a convicted sex offender committed suicide as a result of the investigators' heavy-handed tactics. Hmm. However, as police obtained confessions from suspects, bodies continued to be discovered, proving that the suspects who had confessed could not be the killer um, that they were seeking. In 1984, Chikatilo murdered a further two women, a 10-year-old boy, a mother and daughter who were both having a picnic in a forest field. Three women between 19, 21, 19 and 21 years old. A 13-year-old boy. A 16-year-old girl. Holy cow. A 17-year-old girl. Another woman who we don't know the age of as she was unidentifiable. A 10-year-old girl. An 11-year-old boy. And another young woman. So he's like averaging, say, one a month? Wow, he's that's, just a, that's a going lot through people. That's a lot. A lot. On 13th of September 1984, Ch- Chikatilo was observed by two undercover detectives attempting to talk to a young woman in Rostov bus station. The detectives followed him as he wandered through the city, trying to approach women and committing acts of frotterism which I had to Google, which was very unpleasant, but it means rubbing yourself on other people. And um, men usually do this in busy trains when they have erections. It's hugely common in Japan. Oh, my God. Massive, yeah. Upon Chikatilo's arrival at the city's central market, he was arrested and held. A search of his belongings revealed a knife with a 20-centimeter blade, several lengths of rope, a jar of Vaseline, Shortly after, investigators were able to connect Chikatilo's appearance to that of the described sightings by witnesses, as well as connecting accounts of sexual assaults made by the schools he had previously worked at. They took blood samples, but amazingly found that they didn't match the semen samples found on the victims, which then discredited him from being the killer. He spent one year in prison for theft that that they did prove, and then he was released. So that's where I'm going to stop it. 
Right. So he, he spent a year in jail, was not was let go for the um, suspicion of being the murderer of the serial killer. Of all so he, of them? They yeah. couldn't pin one single one on him? No. So his blood was, I think, type A, and the blood fi- found in the semen, I'm pretty sure, was type B. Now, I don't know how that works, but there are some cases where semen doesn't... The, it's, like, super rare. Some semen does not have blood in it. And they um, can't... It, it happened... I think it was the Golden State Killer. I was going to say, is that what non-secretor is? Yeah, non-secretor. That's a non-secretor. I don't think he's a non-secretor. I don't know how... I mean, maybe because it was still very early days in testing bloods. Yeah. But I don't understand how they fucked it up because there was a lot of blood at the scene. And one thing we find out in a bit... Um, well, in the next episode, is he injured himself a lot, quite a bit during his killings. Like, right. he had cuts all over his hands. Yeah. He was messy. Right. So I don't know how they fucked up the bloods, but he didn't go to jail for it. Wow. And he was, he was let back into the public. Holy and shit cow. gets worse. Wow. Yeah. I can't believe the, the, just the amount, the numbers that he killed. This is what I'm saying. He, his numbers... Of bodies and victims are just absolutely insane to me. I'd love to see a map. Unbelievable. A map of that, you know, that charts out where all these murders mm. occur. But the thing is, he kept jumping from job to job and he ends up getting a job that um, he actually had to travel around Russia for. So, every, right. so there were bodies popping up. Literally in the all most over random Russia, places, and they could not figure out how can. But when they do this some um, psychological profile, which is the most amazing thing ever, this is like what criminology is. Mm. Um, they 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 spot on. They're like he works in a, a job that's weekdays only, and it may, he has to travel for it. Right. He's a father within this age bracket. Yeah. He's married. Like it, he has issues with sex. It's always amazing when they, it is incredible. The, the stuff that they come up with, like things like he has a dog. Yeah. Or, you know, he, he, he's self-conscious about, he has eye issues. He has like weird issues with eyes. Like it is insane. I'm obsessed. I'm interested to know if those profilers were uh, from the Soviet Union or yeah. were they from somewhere else? I think they're from Soviet Union. I doubt they would have gotten external help. Honestly, but interesting. Yeah, guys, have a bit of a breather because it's really gross. Andre Chikatilo. It gets worse too, so we'll be back after the break. All right. <laughs> Today's such a depressing episode. I've got a depressing story for you. I'm oh going to tell you about the Tijuana drug cartel graveyards. Oh, damn. I know, right? Okay. <laughs> I only heard about this yesterday when Cassie from Burlesque Underground, yeah. Burlesque Underground, from Underground, she put it up on her Facebook and she was like, look at this. And I was like, what? So I went. She went to into the graveyard. I on the on the internet, mm. and um and this goes back years. 
So, um, yeah, it was a little bit of a rabbit hole. My sources were um, luniversal.com.mx, The New Yorker, LA Times, ABC News, BBC News, ktla.com, npr.org, and Cassie from Berlitz Wonderground. Shout out to Cassie, legend. Thank you. So, every year, thousands of people go missing in Mexico. Oh, the fucking throwback. The throwback. Most of these people that go missing are men, Mm. usually in their 20s and 30s. Some of them are believed to have something to do with drug drug trafficking or dealing with organised crime groups, but others are just believed to have got caught up with some bad people being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Sometimes these people aren't even believed to be gangs, the people that Mm. take them. They're um, also known to be like corrupt cops or corrupt government officials so there's this whole sort of conspiracy of um, corruption Mm. sort of in Mexico Mm. so the huge problem is very few of these disappearances have been solved in fact families have basically been told to step back and let the police deal with it but only the bare minimum is actually done So we've got all these families wondering, where's my son? Where's my brother? Where's my husband? What are you doing about it? So it's a pretty violent, dangerous situation um, in Mexico with the police organization who either don't have the resources to deal with it or they don't want to get involved because it is dangerous um, or they've got some sort of corrupt interest themselves. Exactly. In fact, 98% of crimes in Mexico don't get solved, which is ridiculous. 98%. So just to give you an idea of some numbers, in 2019, there were 35,000 homicides. uh, And this was basically the worst year they've had since they've started keeping count of how many homicides there have been in Mexico. 2019, right? Yeah, in 2019. I wonder why that year was... Huge. I, for some reason, it's, it really spiked in 2019. That's weird. Maybe, so, sorry. Was Trump like... <laughs> Look, maybe. Maybe had something to do with Trump. It's possible. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Drug cartels seem to be largely to blame for all of this by the families of the people that have disappeared. Mm. Without saying that for sure, that's certainly the impression that I got from my research that people seem to, they don't directly say it was the drug cartels, but it's very much implied um, that the drug cartels were the main suspect for all these missing people. Mm. Um, In the past couple of years, um, oh, I saw this this video on um, the BBC News YouTube channel showing gangs and drug-related gangs literally just opening fire in the streets, like shooting people, killing people, setting cars on fire with people inside. Um, and it just in the past couple of years, it just seems to be getting so much worse. It could have something to do with Trump, like being as they're so strict with this flipping wall and everything with people coming in and out of America and maybe the fact that they can't go back and forth um, is just creating such an economic situation where people are so protective over their businesses. Yeah, and their districts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Territories and shit. So what happens when families don't get the answers they're looking for and no one will help? 
Well, they've gone out and they've started investigating on their own. Oh, that's what's happening with my family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Almost 100 groups have been formed by relatives of missing people in Mexico. And they not only conduct investigations, but they actually go out and they dig when they get tip-offs. That's sad. It's really sad. They literally go out and try to dig for their own children. It appears to me that they seem to conduct these digs around January time. So they do it annually. And all these... I don't know. The weather? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Yeah, maybe. Uh, I'm not familiar with sort of Mexican weather, but I don't know. Maybe um, in other times of the year, maybe it's really wet, muddy. I don't know. I I don't know. And all of these groups, these these hundred or so groups, they they band together and they sort of swap information and they, they get together and they help each other out with digs and stuff. Um, And this seems to have been happening now, according to what I've read, for about five or six years. Another thing they do is they bring attention to what they uh, are trying to achieve with posters, contacting the media, and they also host demonstrations as well. So they're letting the government know that not enough is being done. Mm. And I did find it interesting that all the main articles that I found seem to come out around the January, February time. Right. Every year. Okay, that is interesting. So that's when they're pushing it. Yes. I wonder why it dies down. I don't know. Like you said, it might be something to do with the weather. Maybe they they spend the year collecting Mm. tip-offs. that's a really good point. And doing the groundwork. Yeah. And, you know, interviewing and stuff. For sure, that makes sense. And then all of their actual, the digs actually Mm. happen kind of that after Christmas time. Yeah, right. Maybe. I'm not really sure. So one of these groups, someone's being so noisy in the studio. One of these groups is called Sabuesos Guerreras, uh, which apparently translates to warrior hounds. This group has 370 members and most of them are mothers looking for their missing children or loved ones. Mm. The state of Veracruz is known as Mexico's graveyard because of the number of mass graves uncovered there. Mass graves. Yeah. So let's go back to February 2020. There there were more that I could have covered, but I just chose two uh, dig sites that I wanted to tell you about. So 2020, February, uh, so one year ago, Mm -hmm. uh, almost one year ago. Yeah. When the group was alerted to an abandoned house in the woods near a place called Poza Rica in Veracruz. So people who live around the area say that this place was used by a drug organization to take their competitors to that they'd kidnapped. Mm. And there they would torture and kill them. Mm -hmm. And it's in a forest, I suppose it's kind of remote, not too many people around. After that, they would use a huge outdoor oven made of brick to incinerate their remains. Uh, And there's a picture on one of the articles of of this this massive Mm. oven. It looks kind of like, I don't know, it looks kind of like like a rotunda kind of thing. It's quite big. Like, you could literally stand in it. And it's got yellow police tape around it. Mm. And it's, like, kind of partially sort of falling down. And there's ash in and around it. So they haven't even cleaned up after themselves. Like, they're literally... It's so brazen. Like, what are you going to do about it? There's a 98% chance of getting away with it. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. And if they've got 
people in the police. Yeah, but they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. So I guess the police are informed that these women are going to conduct a dig because apparently there was a team of guards watching the perimeter of this area. Right. So I guess the women are like, we're going to dig here. What are you going to do about it? Mm. And they're like, fine, we'll send down some security guards. (laughs) What are they going to do? Uh, and the guards that that are there, like the security guards, they won't talk to support uh, to reporters. The ladies wear hazmat suits, and they go in and they use uh, huge sieves to go through the Jesus. ashes, and they find human bones and other remains, like teeth and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the police have done a search there, the quotation marks, yeah. but obviously they haven't done a very good job. It's just they've just done like a really basic kind of once over in fact remains were discovered there around uh, 2017 and they haven't even gone through dna identification yet so this kind of goes to show you how dedicated they are which is not it's like funding though too like they just don't have the means to there seem to be two schools of thought. Like the the people in these digging groups, the you know, like the families of the disappeared, mm. they're saying, well, you're the ones with the funds. Why aren't you helping? And then there's people on the other side saying, we don't have enough funds. So, yeah, it seems to be what's the truth. I just, yeah. A man named Mario Vergara Hernandez travelled 400 miles to be at the dig and he said, it's an embarrassment for the Mexican Mm. state that we, the families, are the ones doing the searching. They are the specialists, they have the salaries, the technology and the Mm. money to do the work and they don't. Our technology is just our feet, our Mm. shovels and picks. That's so sad. It's a really sad thing for him to have to say. And he was looking for his brother who was kidnapped almost a decade ago and no one knows what happened to him. Fucking hell, kidnapped. One of the ladies taking part in this dig, is called, her name is Manky Lugo mm. and she's 64 years old. Um, a lot of these ladies are in their 60s. I guess their sons are kind of in that 20, 30 mark. Yeah. Um, she's looking for her son Juan who disappeared in... Uh, June 2015 she goes to the digs every year and she spent two weeks digging last February and her job is quite specific exactly and it's probably like hot and although hang on a minute would that be their winter I have no idea oh yeah I think it might be their winter that could be that could have something to do with it it's cooler yeah I don't I I really don't know I need to do more research on this so this is her job at the digs. When one of the other people thinks that they found a gravesite, they call Mankey over and she has this long metal, it's like a pole and it's got a pointy end. Mm. Um, and she said, I plunge the stick in as far as I can, then I pull it out and I smell the tip. Oh my God, what the fuck? She said, if it smells like dead it's body. Like bread. It's- yeah. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. cake. Yes, exactly. She said, if it smells like dead body, it's positive. Oh. It's terrible, but you have to smell it. That's my job now. Oh, my God. That's Bad. wild. It's bad. Two friends called Teresa um, Figueroa and Rosa Maria Velasquez came a 1,000 miles from Baja to help in a search. 
Teresa's son Raul went missing in December 2013. He was at home, then he just vanished. While Rosa's son um, uh, Manelik was walking to the local shop in September 2017 and he was never seen again. Teresa said they have the right to be searched for and we have the right to search for them. Now, there's a lady called um, Myrna Narita Medina. I'm really sorry. Oh, it's an episode of butchering everyone's name, isn't it? Kinyonis. No pun intended. So Medina, she found her son's remains. Uh, his name was Roberto and he went missing around early 2015 and uh, she thinks that he was targeted by a rival business owner. His remains were found in July 2017, so it was a couple of years later. Her group was investigating a potential gravesite, and she recognised some of his things. Uh, there was a sock and some of the things that he sold in his shop. I, I think he had it like a computer store. Um, she got in the grave and she found his skull, his ribs, and one oh, of his arms. Jesus. And she said, we didn't find any more. They sent the remains for DNA testing, and when they were positively identified, she was able to have them back and bury him properly. But she still helps in the digs to help other people find yeah. their loved ones. Yeah. So let's fast forward to this year's dig. Mm-hmm. which takes us to a place called the Maclovia Rojas house in far eastern Tijuana. This was literally like uh, two week, a week ago, mm. I think, or two weeks ago. So the families began their dig here on Gen- uh, January 2nd this year after getting an anonymous tip-off. The person who gave them the tip-off said it was possibly a safe house and a hiding place for bodies. And this one was not as like remote as the other house this was almost like a suburban it just looks like a, a kind of a white stone yeah it was kind of run down mm. but it definitely i wouldn't call it remote or hidden mm. so this dig was led by a group called una nacion busca t which means a nation seeks and then i'm not sure what the t stands for so it's a nation seeks something this house is privately owned uh, it's a privately owned residence. So the women were not allowed to go onto the property and we don't know who owns it, but they were told you can't go on there. The other place was abandoned. So mm. that was fine, but whatever, this one's not. So some investigators from Baja California state attorney general's office went onto the property for them and they actually located a body uh, in the first day. Mm. And then they just left. So, the families were like, well, there's obviously there's going to be more bodies there. Why are you leaving? And they're like, well, we found a body. We're, we're just going to go. I'm going to presume that they handed it over to Mexican police, I guess. So the women, they just decided to ignore the legal ramifications and they just started digging and they dug for days. However, they had to keep their group small because of COVID. Mm. So um, the people actually put all of their money together and they rented machinery to help them dig. Mm. They recovered over two weeks the remains of at least 12 individuals. Fucking, you need to post the photos, definitely. I will. A A lady named Barbara Martinez said, we really have no other choice. The state has left us with no choices other than to break the law to get answers for the disappearances of our children. 
Yeah. I know some of the mothers sometimes think about getting more than just answers, she said. Revenge. Well, yeah. She said, can you imagine Sicario mums? Um, which apparently what she's implying is like taking a hit out on somebody. Um, and she said, but I don't want to bear. I just want to bury my sons. I'm not even asking for justice. Like wow. she's really not asking for a lot. She's all she's saying is just give me my boy. Yeah. A lady named Lucy Diaz said, it should be the job of the police to investigate these disappearances and find the bodies. But she also believes this is Mexico. She says, keep that in mind. All of your questions can be answered with that. This is Mexico. That's so sad. Yeah. So after the dig in the forest property in Poza Rica, the first one, Mm. The groups ended the expedition with a demonstration on the steps of City Hall on February 21, 2020, to tell the government they February want 21. more. Uh, February 21 of 2020. Oh, 2020, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, 11 months ago. Yeah. And uh, they wanted to let their government know that they wanted more action. The chant was, where are our children, where are they? Now, there's this dude called Prosecutor Hiram Sanchez who told one of the group members called Angelica Ramirez, the state doesn't have the funds to properly investigate each missing persons or homicide case. Apparently, in 2021, there have already been over 100 homicides in Tijuana. Mm. That's in three weeks. He said his office was reviewing the forensic evidence from the McClovio Rojas dig and getting DNA tests done to identify the bodies. So those 12, 13, well, they found 12, and I guess the other person, the the, the Baja people yeah. found one, so I yeah. guess that's 13. So he, he, he's saying there's no money, but he kind of is helping them out. Mm. He's trying to get these DNA tests pushed forward. He's sort of, I feel like um, his hands are kind of tied. Yeah, He's doing what he can, but there's not a lot that he can do. So he's the prosecutor, uh, Sanchez. According to the LA Times, um, he said that he visited the property to offer his support to the parents for their great effort and show them that the Attorney General's office supports them in their plight. Now, the president, Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador, says he will do more to help the families looking for their missing relatives. So we'll see how far that goes. Who knows? But Carla Quintana Osuna, who is the head of the National Search Commission for the Disappeared, so there's an actual political group for this, and she calls the high number of disappearances um, Mexico's statistic of horror, but she also reckons that their efforts have been improving over the past few years. So, but still, we've got all these people going out with shovels and digging for their kids. Yeah. So, obviously, more needs to be done. Yeah, 2019 is, a, is proof of that. Yeah. The group Sabuesos Guerreros, which are the warrior hounds, they want 12 suspicious new sites to be investigated. Wow. Um, so they've got a lot of work ahead of them, and hopefully we'll, they will get the help that they need from police. In conclusion, I'll end with a quote from Rosa Maria Velasquez, who... Um, He's not been able to locate her missing son. She said, I feel useful here helping out. I may not have found my own son, but maybe I helped another family find theirs. Mm, That's sad. 
So that's this whole nuts thing that I had no idea was happening. I'd never, never heard of them. Never had I. That's really sad. So I'm definitely going to um, keep my eye on that because that's, that's huge. Yeah, and it's happening right now. It's happening right now. It's literally in the news this week. Far out. So I feel really tired now, do you? I'm exhausted. That was a heavy episode. I have to drive up through peak hour traffic to the city now. Get a coffee. have a cry all right guys you guys this has been a heavy episode we will see you again next week for part two of andre chikatilo and i think maybe i'll look for something a little bit more light-hearted you know we need a little bit more jesus on toast and um yeah give us something things like that buzzfeed but not yeah let me i'll I'll find some creepy buzzfeed crap Get some creepy pasta. Read some spooky fake stories. Well, people are getting in trouble for that now. You can't read Reddit posts anymore because people are getting sued oh, and demonetized. Assholes. I wouldn't do that anyway because that's just lazy. Oh, Maybe I'll write a story. Write a story. Guys, remember to like and subscribe and tell your friends, please. Yes. And message us to let us know who's actually listening because right yeah. now it feels like there's three permanent listeners. <laughs> yeah, send us a message. Yeah, yeah send us let a us message. know if you've listened because we will be like, yay! Just send us a message. It can just be, hey, cool episode. Yeah, yeah. I want to get a head count. <laughs> she wants a head count. I want a head count. Step up, people. Step up, fridges. Message me. Yep. Until next week, be creepy, but don't be a creep. Bye. Bye. Best. I love my plants so it's much. Great. I I copied you the other day and went and bought cat grass from Bunnings and I got a <laughs> pot and it is fucking huge and cat grass is rad and they and love I it. Just, they love it and I just sit outside and I just stare at the pot and I'm like I've done something good. It's awesome. I need to repot mine or do something with it because um accidentally got left out in the heat and uh now literally like in one day it turned it's to like hay. Straw. It's <laughs> completely turned to hay. <laughs> And there's like a few tufts, and last night Vanjie was like eating like the the several oh, green no, tufts. The green I was like, I'm so sorry, I'm oh. gonna have to play you some more. Sorry, honey.